The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The art world, it is essentially a money laundering business. The best fakes are still hanging on people's walls, you know. They don't even know or suspect that they're fakes. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is a podcast about deception, greed, and forgery in the art world. I just walked in and saw this bright red painting presuming to be a Rothko. Of course, art forgeries only happen because there's money to be made. A lot of money. I'm listening to how what they're paying for these things. It was incredible amounts of money. You knew the painting was fake. Um. Listen to Art Fraud on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the new podcast, I Am Kobe. Do you want to understand how Kobe Bryant achieved his unequal determination? How did he come to his incredible passion to win? In I Am Kobe, we reveal intimate, never-before-heard tapes of Kobe when he was a teenager, just as he was starting to glimpse his own greatness. It's about the making of an icon. We weave together these tapes with Kobe's high school coaches, his friends, and the figures who knew him in his youth. All episodes are out now, so you can binge the whole thing. Listen to I Am Kobe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
Have you ever felt depressed about work, only to have your dad be like, why are you so down? So you told him you hate your job, and he said, well, you better talk yourself out of it. And then you thought, hmm, I love to talk. I could host a podcast. And then you went to Spreaker from iHeart and started a podcast and got good at it, then monetized it, then quit your boring job, then told your dad, thanks for the advice. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant, and I don't understand what a podcast is, but you seem happy, so that's great, kiddo. You ever do that? Well, you could. At Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Ask your dad. You actually don't. Oh, I'm John Krasinski, and I played Jim Halpert on The Office. Oh, hello, everybody. (laughs) Uh, And welcome to this week's episode of The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today... Oh, you are going to hear him in a way you have never heard him before. The hunkiest man in the office, John Krasinski. Now, I actually had to go to New York uh, in the dead of winter, I might add, to have my conversation with John because at the time he was putting the finishing touches on his film, A Quiet Place 2. He was uh, doing final edits. He was getting ready for the premiere, working very hard. And then about a week later, boom, global pandemic. That's right. So that premiere did not happen. I had to return the tux I had rented. Um, The release date, obviously, was postponed, like very postponed. But I am excited to announce that. A Quiet Place 2 is now finally coming out. I cannot wait. I loved the first one. If you haven't seen it, go check that one out because this this movie is going to be great. Anyway, I'm so glad I got to talk to John uh, before we got stuck on Opposite Coast because seeing him in person, well, there is an energy. Oh, it's palpable. I'm not going to call it sexual energy. I'm just going to say it's palpable. You you can decide what kind it is. Uh, John is a great storyteller. He's so funny. And he remembers all kinds of things that that I do not remember from the show. Plus, it was just great to see my friend. So please enjoy the one and only JK. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hey, buddy! Yeah. Yeah. God, it's so good to see you. Oh. oh, just never let it end. Oh, good to see you. Thanks for choosing the kill floor to record this time. Hey, what do you mean? It was no. the scariest, darkest hallway I've ever seen. I actually agree. I got out and looked at like, my right and was like, "Where? I think I'm in the wrong spot. Oh. Ugh, what's up? How you doing, dude? What's your hat? Boston. Oh, okay. Um, How are you? God, By the way, just dude. so you know, this is not Tribeca. I just want to teach you about things. When you were like, found a place in Tribeca. I didn't say that. I said this is the end fairly of the world. close. This is horrible to <laughs> get to. We're recording this on the Staten Island Ferry. No, it's literally <laughs> horrible to get here. 
I ended up getting out of my car and walked because I'm still taking you in. I'm just drinking you in. You look great. You, you have not changed. It's really frustrating. Why? Everyone says that. Really? I feel like I have. No, you haven't. I certainly have. You have a lot. I'm elderly. Why would you say that? I feel elderly. Elsey, I can't even say elderly. What's with the intense beard, though? Um, it started with laziness and then turned into winter. So it's just insulation, really. Got to oh. be honest, my wife, I was going to shave it, and she went, don't do that. So, Oh, she liked it. Hello. Um, I can't. You I know, like I, you know, I love. No, I like it. No, I'm saying I love it here. Here in New York. It's just too cold. Oh, we've moved on from the beard. Okay. Well, you talked about winter. I thought that was a seamless transition. <laughs> Get ready for a lot of those. Um, I love it here. You should move here. <sighs> it's really cold. I know. And it's literally the opposite of what you want. There's not a lot of golf. Um, You've really done the post office thing right. I'll tell you that. What do you mean? Just, you know, show ends. You just become this, like, <laughs> golfing extraordinaire. Like, people don't know that I was over in oh, right. Monte Carlo? Monaco. 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 One of those M's. Yeah. Well, elderly. that's kind of, Monte Carlo and Monaco, I think, is kind of the same thing. Are I'm they? still not... I'm not clear of it. All I know is that I heard that you were there. I texted you and you said, I'm going, oh my God, this is great. I'm about to golf on a cliff overlooking like Nice or something. Yeah. It was like and France I was like, and Oh, Italy. cool, man. Sorry about your life. <laughs> um, Look at that. You got notes. This is so official. No, no. I mean, this is, you know. I mean, so wait, let's get official. back to it. You've now gotten everybody almost other than Steve. Basically, uh, yeah. Mike Sure. I'm going to stop making this noise. I'm sure I'm going to get that note pretty soon. Yep. That's a nod in the back. Yep. <laughs> Copy that. Allison Jones. Did you get Phyllis? Yep. And I got them together as a surprise. Oh, that's awesome. They Tears. didn't know? Uh, Allison knew. Phyllis did not. Oh, man. Yeah. They were like uh, mystics. They knew what was happening before we did. Yeah. In the casting process. They knew they were cooking something. But you started in New York, right? I did, yeah. Yeah. So you just, it was like, what, an open call or you got called in to? I got, wow, the elderly thing's kicking in. I got, I had just gotten a manager. I had gone out to LA to shoot this pilot and then they immediately didn't pick it up. And before I left LA, my manager said, you should meet this person, Allison Jones. So I went by and met her and wanted her to adopt me. And then she said, uh, you should pay attention to this thing coming out soon. It's called The Office and you should, uh, you should come in for it. And I said, oh, that's really nice. So then I got back to New York, and about three weeks later, my manager called and said, they want you to come in for the show called The Office. And I was like, Allison Jones, pro. And they said, they want you to come in for the role of Dwight. And at that point, I had seen and fallen in love with the British show. Okay. I was down at Virgin Records. Remember that? Yes. I was down at Virgin Records in Union Square buying the like black DVD case. Sure, like yes. Like the special edition. And just binge watching that thing and that's what made me so nervous so that i actually said i don't know where i got i was still waiting tables right and i don't know where i got the confidence to go yeah no i don't want to go in for dwight let me know when they're doing the tim character and they basically said like how dare you who are you and my manager did say he was like wow that didn't go great they were very upset and then <laughs> very luckily for me I, like four three four weeks later they still hadn't found a gym and then they were like now you can come in for gym and i was like okay and then i went in 
trying to remember. I guess I did one just with the casting people and was totally terrified because not only was I excited about the prospect of getting the part, but I was also very nervous. Oh my God, I don't want to be on one of those shows that, because I was such a TV nerd. And I remember like Arrested Development was coming out around then. Right. And that was really good and smart. And I was like, oh no, we're going to take a really good, smart show and kill it. And while I was waiting in the waiting room, six gyms that looked identical to me had gone in and done their audition and left. And we were like high-fiving each other. And I was the last one. And right at that exact moment, they were like, we're going to take a lunch break for an hour. And I was like, oh, maybe see one more. Maybe we get one more in. And I sat there very nervous and everybody left. It was at 30 Rock. And then they came back with sandwiches and salads. And someone sat down across from me with a salad and said, you know, are you nervous? And I said, no, you know, you either get these things or you don't. But I'm terrified for the person creating the show because, I mean, I, I just feel like the Americans have such a track record of taking brilliant shows and ruining them. And he goes, I'll try not to. My name's Greg Daniels. I'm the executive producer. <laughs> and then I called my manager and said, I'm going to leave now. There's no way I can go into this room. And he was like, you have to, you have to go in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I went in and I remember opening the door to uproarious laughter. And it was not laughter with me. It was, it was definitely <laughs> laughter at me. Right. And Greg was running the room and very sweetly, but just like, this is the guy who ruined his own life. And everybody was like laughing. And it weirdly was this bizarre blessing because, because they were already laughing I felt like I was already in my audition when I walked in. So I just kept going and read some lines and they laughed. And then later, I remember Greg saying, I'll never forget that you told me that it really helped your audition because you were really honest. And I remember I, 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 that's a vibe that I want on this show, someone who will be honest and make sure that we're all doing good work. And I was like, totally. So now I go into every audition for anything, just being like, so this movie sucks. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't worked since, but <laughs> but the weirdest thing was I came and I didn't know this that there's a dynamic between New York actors and L.A. actors. Did you know this? No, what? It's like sharks and jets. Like the New York actors go first because they flew in for it. And I remember Jim Gaffigan was on my plane auditioning for Steve's part. Okay, and um, we were all in this room doing auditions, and I remember I got really nervous because. We had been auditioning for like two hours. And then they like slowly were letting New York people go. And then I watched all the LA people come in and was just completely judging myself on them. Man, I'm having like a, an acid flashback. But two people walked in that really blew my brain out. One was BJ Novak. Okay. Who I hadn't seen really since high school. We went to high school together. All right. So you knew him and he walked in. He walked. Yeah. I mean, imagine like somebody from your high school walking into a bizarre scenario already. You're in some weird, bizarro world auditioning to be doing something, pretend for the rest of your life. And then that person walks in. It was an acid trip. And I was like, hey. And then I got more nervous because he acted and directed and everything in high school. Like he was already in and I was barely an actor. I mean, I wasn't an actor. I was a waiter. And I was like, what part are you going out for? And he was like, oh, we're going, I'm doing this part called uh, Ryan. It's like, a, and I was like, oh, you're not going for Jim? Then I might still have a shot at this. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, cool, man, that's awesome. And was super like giving myself a fist pump. And then I'll, I, I know it sounds like a, like a fairy tale, but it's true. I remember Jenna Fisher walking in. And as soon as she crossed the threshold on the door, I was like, well, that's it. Like, that is exactly who should play Pam. And then what happened was, I watched her go in with all the other gyms 
And I was like, oh no. Cause like I saw that they were just lining up the gyms with her. And I was like, see, she's it's the tipping point. She's it. And I remember saying to myself, alone in a corner, uh, if I don't go in with her, I know I don't have it. I know I don't have it. And I'd never went in with her. And then four hours after they had let go of all the New York guys, I was sitting there and stood up and walked on set while they were in the middle of someone's audition. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to leave now. I think you forgot to let me go home. And from behind a door, like a fake wall, they were like, wait, no, hold on one second. And then like Greg came out and they were like, just give us 30 more minutes. And I was like, uh-huh. and I was so insecure. And then I turned around, I waited another 15, 20 minutes. And they were like, one more, just come on in. And I walked in and I saw that it was Jenna. And I was like, oh my God, if, if I'm auditioning with her, I'm back. You're, you have, have a, a shot. shot. And we did a scene together. That was awesome. And I remember having so much fun with it. I think it was at the copier, I think. I think it was one at the desk and one at the copier and we just had to improv about stuff. And then we were walking out and I turned to her and I was like, just so you know, you're going to get the part. I know you're going to get the part. And she was like, oh my God, I said the same thing about you. As soon as I saw you, I was like, that's Jim. And it was really weird. And I was like, all right. And again, I don't know why this happened, but when I got the part, which was amazing, I legit jumped on a couch. Didn't think that that was real. And the only question I asked my manager at the time was, did Jenna Fisher get it? It was like, I didn't even get fully happy until I knew that she was doing the part because I was like, if she's the part, then again, it's just that one more step where like, this might be good. It's so interesting because- Was that a four-hour story? I think no, was that was really story. good. But what it, um, it's interesting. I had never heard this before. Greg said she was, she was it. From the beginning. Yeah. It's weird, right? And, like and her she, look is just so perfect for it. But then also like, I don't know, man, there was something in her delivery, how like, I don't know what the word is, like demure or something. She was so good. I remember being so nervous when I was auditioning with her because I was like, I, she was so subdued and under where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm like, she, I'm doing like physical comedy bits compared <laughs> to you. So I just went super submerged and was like, by the end, just being like, like barely talking. Right. So, so does she help you? Oh, in the for audition? sure. Oh, for sure. Cause again, I knew that my chance, my only chance was with her. And as soon as I started acting with her, I was like, dude, this is the one don't blow this. Like I had auditioned with rain. I also kind of knew rain was going to get it only because he was so I've told this story. He knows the story is like, we were doing a improv about a bunch of things. And they did one where I had to go to the bathroom and I asked him to watch my phone. And <laughs> By that time, I was feeling great, and Rain was so good and so funny. And then in this particular improv, he was so infuriating. I remember leaving the scene being like, he might get it because I'm actually so annoyed being in this room with him <laughs> as John Krasinski rather right. than Jim Halbert. Right. He was so good. I remember I was like, hey, can you watch my phones? And he did this thing where he pretended that like security – Doors were coming down. He was like, and I was like, dude, can you just watch my phone? He was like, like all the like weird shutting, like eighties wipes, shutting doors. It was, it was so incredible. And by the end, I think I broke and laughed because he was so infuriating that I just had to laugh. He was so good at what he was doing. He was making me physically angry. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because we, you know, he and I really were the two that came from like theater, theater, like Shakespeare and Chekhov. And don't, and don't throw that in my no, face. No, but I'm How saying he and I, in terms of character construction, the 
physicality was a conscious decision Everyone of how on this we podcast created just it. Tuned out. It's just it's just so highbrow theater garbage. Yeah, but that's what we're doing. Here. What did you also learn? Fencing at school? Come on. I did actually. <laughs> I no, I was I wasn't trained broad, at all, and it was very broad, obvious. Broad, no, I'm not saying that. Although I will tell you this, Phyllis was cast, and we started filming episodes, and she was like, "I don't know what I'm doing. I can't keep up." And she went and bought books on improv. And went home at night and Come read them. On swear, these stories are amazing and adorable. I mean, some of some of my favorite moments on the show are Phyllis's stuff. She is so funny. Yeah, God, no. the the relationship with her and Steve was because didn't we say that they, like they went to school together? They were, yeah, they yeah, were like, in high school together. They knew each other. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And he would reference how much older and she was like, than him. Not older. Yeah, you're not. We're I'm, the same, I'm not older. We're the yeah, same we're the same age. age. Oh, it's such a good bit. By the way, Jenna tells the same story about asking about you when yeah. she was cast. Because I contractually made her. Which is so which is so crazy. Um, so I mean, here's the thing. You're like the you're like the hunky, like this is a great segue. No, I'm not transitioning. Oh, so good. I've given up on it. You use the word hunky to start a thought. <laughs> hunky. I don't know what the right word is, but Part of what we're looking at in the show was like the TV landscape at the time was way prettier than we were. Yeah. You look at oh, friends, totally. yeah, yeah. Will and Grace, mm-hmm. and there was a transition with Allison Jones uh, and freaks and geeks oh, yeah, and, and wanting to cast people who were more real. Mm-hmm. Um, were you aware of that at the time or did you realize that we were doing something? I don't different? think I would have been cast if it wasn't for that, well, <laughs> for that thrust. Well, I mean, I think, again, I saw the English show and I was like, I, I could feel the vibe of what they were going for. And I knew shooting wise, I, I immediately felt even from the lighting of that pilot, the test, they were just using those weird, you know, office lights, which right. I thought was so cool. Like everything just looked kind of a bummer in a right. good way, because that makes sense. No, it does make sense. So you get cast in the show. You're living in New York. Yep. What, you you went to Scranton and shot. Yeah. What was your decision behind that? Just pure nerddom. Just super nerdy. So excited to have this part. And Greg contacted me to say, congrats, you have the part. And I was so excited. I was 23. And I was, just, you know, I think at that time in my life, my only experiences with, was in college just sort of like, let life happen. Who knows? Right. Right. And so I was like, so excitable, like a puppy. And I said to Greg, I was like, I'm going to go to Scranton and I'm going to do research. And he was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. There's actually a paper company there that does like cards and stuff. I got to see that footage. Cause I think they have it. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. But I went and was so excited. I went with my friend Kevin Connors and we drove to Scranton and out of his Jeep's sunroof, I had a tiny little camera. And that shot of the Scranton sign is us driving at full speed limit. So I just sort of like popped out of the sunroof and was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And he didn't really know. So I was like filming it as we drove by. Then I went around this paper company all day and interviewed the boss, but the boss found out that it was based on the uh, English one and then realized that the boss is the boob and was like, I don't want this to ever air and don't make me look bad. And it it was not great. And then I came back just thinking that I had immersed myself in this thing and really done some research, man. And then Greg goes, "Um, can I have that footage? And I said, sure. And then he said, I might use it for the opening of the show. And I went, what? And he was like, so I have to buy it from you. Can I buy your footage? And I was like, oh, no, no, like you can just have it. Again, super young. I was like, no, no, you can just have it. And so I think he, he was like, no, we got to buy it. And I think he bought it for, I think, like $1,000. Are you, so you just did a buyout, a straight buyout? A on straight the buyout, yeah. Again, it was like $1,000. That is a dumb like, decision. So dumb. So I dumb. I could have been making. That was, no. could have been the greatest investment of my life. No, truly. I know. That is insane. Yeah. You know about the sign, right? Has, has anyone ever told you this? No, what? The sign that you got out of the sunroof and filmed. Yeah. You know, it's not on the highway anymore. It's, oh. it's in the mall because too many people were stopping along the highway to, no take, to take pictures by it. It is now, that sign is now not on the highway to Scranton. Because, it was, because, because it was a safety because violation. Because it was a safety issue. Wow. Yeah. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire 
all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the creator of The Bright Sessions comes a new fiction podcast for all ages. Jump back to 1997 and follow Maxine Miles as she starts high school in the picturesque town of Hastings, New Hampshire. Fall is the season in which this small town shines. Apple cider, pumpkin patches, farmer's markets. It's idyllic for adults and boring for Max. But suddenly, Max's school year starts to look a bit more interesting when a fellow student vanishes. With the help of her misanthropic classmate, Ross, Max starts to look into the disappearance. Her investigation draws her deep into the dark woods around Hastings and even deeper into the secrets and lies that course through the veins of this sleepy town. This new YA mystery from writer-director Lauren Shippen is an audio drama with heart and wit that involves the audience in a way no fiction podcast ever has. Listen to Maxine Miles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. The art world, it is essentially a money laundering business. The best fakes are still hanging on people's walls, you know? They don't even know or suspect that they're fakes. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is a podcast about deception, greed, and forgery in the art world. You knew the painting was fake. Um. Listen to Art Fraud on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Greg talked about he felt like his job for the pilot, for him, it was about creating the world as opposed to the writing of the words. Mm. So, so many things that happen in terms of, remember Quapus and our 30 minutes of, of, of busy work? Oh my God, yeah. I remember that. I totally, I kind I of like being, forgot You know, about, it was like an acting exercise. I made fun of you for acting school, but really it's, it's true. I remember that being like, oh, this is so nerdy. And then by the end of it, you were kind of into it. You were kind of dialed in. Yeah, He's like so shuffling smart, yeah. in the papers. Oh, and, and he talked about wanting to do that because he wanted the space to feel lived in. And we had been there for a long time. Quapa said that or Greg? Quapa. Wow. 
I thought he was just trying to get us out of our heads to not think about lines. 30 minutes of busy work. That's right. He's, he's the most amazing energy. But, you know, don't you feel like nobody else could have directed that pilot? Yes. Is that what you were getting at? I, I stopped your flow. No, I, I just think, you know, that was one element. The lighting that you talked about. Yeah. Um, the set design was amazing. Set design. They talked to me also about that the architecture of the space was important. That you knew where Jim and Dwight's yeah. clump was relative to Michael, relative to accounting yes. and Pam and all of that stuff. That and it's totally true. It works. Yeah, because like some of the story. I mean, so much of the story is being told in the camera. Like when the camera whips to a geographic region, you already know who you're going to. Like you, we always knew where you were. Always God, I made sure we were everybody knew. We were checking on fantasy football. You had such a great little like secret hole back there yeah i know uh, never bothered never paid attention to do you know greg during this, you were on the show during this <laughs> he finally said something to me that no one ever said to me before when a great scene was written that didn't really have an end i would like um like a wide receiver to a quarterback i would give matt Sohn a little nod right so yeah. you guys would do your thing Matt Sohn would whip over to me if I like had an idea. And Greg told me that when they were having trouble ending a scene, Greg would say, what was Brian doing? Where's the, th where's the thing? Wow. Yeah. I was, I'm pretty proud of that one. Well, you sound conceited, but yeah, no, you should be proud. No, I mean, I am. No, but I am. What, th let's think back to what you just said. When a scene was going mm -hmm. great, I'd give Matt a nod and say, I'll make it better. Mm -hmm. You also said like a receiver to a quarterback. Yeah, like a lot of people tuned out on that one. Mm, and if they didn't tune out on the acting school and I was properly trained and, you know. That, you think they're long gone by now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Most of them left on the acting thing. That's why I'm feeling free right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah, you say it. The other thing I remember, I remember when they told me that Randall and Matt came from Survivor. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then on episode two, I remember saying to Matt, like, just let me know where you want to be. And he was like, no, 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 don't. That's my job. Don't tell me where you're going to be. It will make it feel more alive. And if we hadn't had them, the guys from Survivor, whose job it was to find behavior that was happening because it wasn't technically scripted, I think that might be a weird secret element that people don't realize. Like people don't realize that like Randall and Matt would dive across a table knowing full well that not only was an injury imminent, but that the take would only be 0.2 seconds because the camera would kind of catch someone and then smash to the ground. But that moment would feel so much more alive. And I remember Randall would sometimes say like, no, I, I will not reposition myself for a better shot because then it will show that we were aware of what you guys were doing and we can't. And I was like, wow, that is so high level. That, is, that was next level stuff. Their, their adage was everything that makes it harder makes it better wow that's cool yeah did you have a conscious decision or did you have a conversation with greg about jim's relationship to the camera yes i remember talking to greg about it and i kind of remember a version of like mike sure talking about it a lot because i remember mike loved those looks early on right how awesome is that by the way i don't think that's ever happened like every take seven writers would blow out of that door that we never, you know, because that was the writer's room that right. we never say what it is. Right. 
and they would blow out and be like, all right, that was amazing. And then cut that part because what you said was way funnier and blah, blah, blah. Like we always did the script many times, but then they started tweaking the script as we went. It was so alive. I felt like, I almost felt like you were doing live theater. Anyway, but I remember Mike coming in with that amazing laugh several times when I looked to camera and he was like, that was so great. And then I think it started to become, let's not overuse it, but it's a, it's a really important story point. And I think what I remember Greg and I talking about is how I was the window to the audience. I was the character who, right when you were thinking this was all ridiculous, I would turn to you and go, you're right, this is ridiculous. Or I would load it by saying like, wait till you see what's about to happen. And it's, that was really interesting to me. I thought that was so fascinating and smart. Yeah. And I didn't think of it. See, I'm not conceited. I will say other people had good ideas. Not That's just a humble brag. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, no, not like when we were winning the game, <laughs> I said, put me in coach. God. Um, <clears throat> so talk a little bit about you're a fan of the British show. Yep. We start work on it. Ratings are not good, but are you feeling good about what we were doing? Oh my God. Yeah. I think, you know, shooting the pilot, we were all a little nervous, right? I think so. We all felt like, oh my God, we're going to be judged on the actual British script. At right. least that's what I felt. But I was just so happy to be there. I knew the group was working really well. I knew the show, like our, like you said, the world was really good. The vibe was really good. All the actors were incredible. And I got to be honest, it was probably one of the reasons why I was able to keep a level head because I didn't care if the show did well or not because I asked, um, what's his name? Oh my God. Um, the executive that came every Friday and that like super handsome dude, oh, I'm going to remember his name. He was so nice. Not Kevin Riley. No, no, no. He's super handsome as well. No. Jeff Engold. Oh! Yes. Yes. I got to I got to take a nap after pulling that. Jeff was the nicest guy. But don't you remember he would come down super nice, dressed well, handsome ass guy, and I'd be like, "What's up, Jeff?" and he's like, "Oh, it's great. I love this episode. This will be the last one." And I was like, "Oh." And he's like, "Yeah, it's just not getting the ratings and the and the network doesn't get it. I love it, but this is going to be the last one." He said that every week of the first season, those first 6 or Six total, right? Including the pilot, just every week. And so, on the like fifth week, I said to him, "Can you make me a DVD so I can give it to my mom, so she at least knows that what I was doing out here was real, and that I wasn't like living under a bridge somewhere?" <laughs> right. And he said, "Yes, I still have that DVD that he wrote hand wrote on it, uh, uh, The Office episodes one through six. Wow. So that's kind of all I cared about was like. I definitely want to show my friends because this will be one of those things that's brilliant but canceled. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to show my mom and I want her to know that I'm okay. (laughs) But I'll tell you, I do know when it changed for me was... I used to go to this same diner every morning with my buddy Danny. And on a Wednesday, because we used to air on Tuesdays, I think that that time, I walked in on a Wednesday morning and the same diner, same people were now looking up and being like, that's, that's the dude from that show. And it was sexual harassment had aired the night before. I, that, at least that was my moment that I really knew something had changed. Like people were watching. And it started, it was weird because I was really happy about it, obviously, but I was also a little freaked out because that sort of like secret club that we had was no longer secret. Obviously, it was great that the secret club was not secret, but it it was like a big transition for me. I remember that it took me a while to, that people knew who I was, was very weird. I also remember this moment I was walking here in New York and I was walking through and this guy put his hand up real fast in my face and I thought I was getting assaulted. And he was like, you're on my iPod, dude. And I was like, what is an iPod? (laughs) What are you showing me? And there was my dumb face on his, whatever, was like an inch by an inch or two inches by two inches? Yeah, like the video iPod. Yeah, big dial. Big dial. That was trippy for me. Interesting. And then the, the third and final thing was when we got parodied on SNL. I remember Fred Armisen did a weekend update piece. He was pretending to be Steve Jobs or was he talking about Steve Jobs? I think he was pretending to be Steve Jobs and he kept saying iPod and he was going iPod, the office at Apple, the office, iPod, iPod, the office. And I remember laughing really hard because I loved everything Fred did. But I was also like, whoa, if we're being parodied on SNL, this is big. I think for me, the first Christmas episode that we did that's kind of when the video iPod came out. There was a deal with Apple, as you yeah, yeah. as you referenced, that we were going to be on there, yeah. and that's when we were in our second season. Well, was that's like, right. It was like six episodes, yes. four episodes, They're three episodes, trickling them out, one more, zero confidence. And then I remember Greg saying, "It all, you know, I think a lot of people get to say, you know, we owe it all to our fans, but I think we might be the only show who actually owes it all to our fans because Greg told me." That when people started paying for shows that they could watch for free on their TV, then they had to pick up the show. And I remember being like, 
what? That was just so mind-blowing to me. Yeah. The risk-taking that was happening from day one. Because imagine the conversations that were going on at the network, which again, I know the network totally was hands-off because at the end of the day, I, I think they were sort of like, we put the screws to you. It succeeded even... Despite us. Despite yeah. us. Yeah. And then now let's just leave you alone and make your magic, which I, I remember that story. Did Greg tell you that I think it was around sexual or whatever was the big hit. I know I remember it as sexual harassment, but maybe it was something else. One of our table reads, there were like six people from the network and there always used to be one. And after that table read, he was like, nope. And he supposedly said to them, do not come back or I quit. Like now that we have proven ourselves, you don't get to change the formula. Right. That to me, especially now that I've had more experience in this business, I think it is not only rare, it's damn near impossible to have a leader like that. And again, he comes across as the nicest guy ever, but to have someone who's willing to stake their career on big swings like that, and then you realize, yeah, that was going on since day one. They were taking risks from day one. Yes. Lee Eisenberg told me that um, dinner party, Ugh. he said it, it came back really well. The writers had come up with this great idea and he and uh, Gene had written this episode and it came back and the network called the network executive and Lee didn't know who it was said, um, great script. So funny, really, really funny. It's really dark. And Greg was like, yep. I, it, I mean, it's, it's really dark. <laughs> and Greg was like, uh-huh. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's real dark. Right. right. Greg's like, Mm-hmm. Guys, anything else? Goes like, nope. Okay, thanks for calling. Hung up. Amazing. And that's like some Jedi mind uh, stuff. Yeah. And Lee was like, again, from Greg, just the most baller, like But that's what I mean. Is like I've now like directed movies, and even in my directing movies, I find myself totally going with that of like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll try that. Or like he just sat on the wall and was like, you will not pass. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. amazing. But yeah. that's what I mean is like, that. It's, in, it's incredible that that's who we had on the wall. Because even a impressive showrunner would come back and be like, listen guys, we got to shoot one other version where it's not as dark. And then he was like, no. Yeah. Hey. It's Jake Halpern here. If you've ever wondered what it's like to make a true crime podcast like Deep Cover, well, now's your chance to find out. Join me and my friend Dana Goodyear, who's the host of Pushkin's Lost Hills podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling. We'll talk about how we make our stories dramatic and accurate and how we navigate all the ethical dilemmas that we face in the process. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com backslash dclh that's momenthouse.com slash dclh and we're live here outside the perez family home just waiting for the and there they go almost on time this morning mom is coming out the front door strong with a double arm kid carry looks like dad has the bags daughter is bringing up the rear but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about nine or ten, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. 
Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes! Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, your relationship with Rain, Jim and Dwight. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've been talking about are like comedy duos, uh-huh. right? And we talk about the ensemble, and it is like the greater ensemble, yeah. But also like the pairings, like the accountants, Michael and Dwight, yeah, Dwight and Jim, mm-hmm. you know, and and how all of those things, the smaller groups, work together. That's when I think the show became stratospheric is when you guys started having real storylines. You know what I mean? Like, right. I remember when, like, Creed had a big storyline for the first time, and I was like, this is it, man. This is like painting pictures with the four primary colors or using everything you have in the palette and how much more beautiful it is. I remember feeling that the show was, like, genuinely lifting off. Because, like, every one, you know, all those bullpen scenes got so much funnier when everybody was involved. Diversity Day. Diversity Day, which was the second episode. Right. But it's crazy. That's when I knew that we were doing something different than the British. I might have even said it to Rain or Jenna. I was like, whoa. Like the fact that we're being this sort of uh, on the edge and it's so funny and making such a great social commentary using Steve as the the sort of boob character. It was so next level. Like that, that's when I realized like, oh, if I wasn't on this show, I would be obsessed with this show. I remember when uh, Larry Wilmore said, my name's Mr. Brown. He goes, I'm not calling you that. I lost my mind. That joke was so good. That was BJ who wrote that, right? Yeah. So good. But you, um, the Jim and Dwight stuff and specifically what everybody talks about are the pranks. Yeah. And the two of you guys working together. Yeah. Why do you think you two worked so well together? I don't know. Either the characters or the, you know, the actors, you and Rain. Well, I mean, I think obviously there's some version of the old adage of polar opposites are always great. You know, whatever happens when you put two polar opposite characters together is sort of magical because it's the odd couple. You know what I mean? And I think that the beauty of our show that I really remember being so special is when pretty early on they would allow rain's character to have heart and you felt bad for him at times and then he'd totally not make you feel bad for him because he'd be doing crazy stuff but i remember that that really helped me with the pranks because it wasn't just being mean to him because pranks are easy you know what i mean i think pranks are kind of the easiest form of jokes i don't mean on our show i'm saying like doing a prank to someone sure 
because it's fish in a barrel kind of, you know. But I think that what the writers did so well was make those pranks kind of loving and like brotherly. Like there was a brother aspect to it that I think made them so great because I wasn't being mean. I was doing something that I knew he kind of got a kick out of too. It, I don't know. that That's my theory on it. But I think that he was everything I didn't want to be or so I thought. We were in the scenes together coming from two totally different places. And that's what was so cool. Like that weird explosive thing. And it was one of those things where, you know, I think that when you put yourself as an audience member and you're like, I think this is funny. I knew this is what I would want to see is me trying to tell him something and him being annoying or the best is when we teamed up. When we did, when we did stuff together and we were a team, oh, yes. that was great. That stuff was amazing. Like those, those talking heads where we do together, don't think I was professional once in those. Because when I sat in a chair next to him, that weird energy radiated off of him and I just started laughing. I'm a crier laugher and I had like that high-pitched girl laugh. That's right. That's what made Rain so good is he... He was able to, I remember we always used to laugh because he had this look on his face that he'd give to me that would make me break every time. And by the way, it's like his face didn't even move, but like some energy came out and I would laugh every time. He would do this like really funny kind of like dumb face at me and I would laugh every time. And it's funny, it's almost like he of all people made the lines feel like improv. Him and Steve, I think, made the lines feel the most like they were improving. You know you're the part of my favorite moment of shooting ever. What was that? People always ask me, uh, is, what's the hardest you ever laughed on set? Oh, Without a doubt, later. it's when you sat on his lap. When you yes. sat on his lap and his improv with you, I think you can see it on the outtakes, right? Oh, yeah. It's the funniest. And by the way, to your point, again, you're right. They always went to you for a button because anytime they went to me for a button <laughs> and Steve was doing improv, I was not there. Physically not. I remember Matt Stone going, just, just let me know, are you going to be there? And I was like, no. Because I would laugh so hard that I had to walk off set. So you were I diving into the diving into the entryway of yes. the office. And I was just the most unprofessional. And they would, you, you were doing such good work. And he said something about like attaching balloons to you or something. Yes. And they whipped me. And I was like, dude, don't do it. I'm only going to fail you. And that was one of the only times that I just literally gave up on doing my job. And then he pretended that his legs were asleep. Yeah. I, but his voice changed when you sat on his lap. Well, th- that's, a, that's the thing that I always oh, that I always say to people was it, and it was right in my ear. Oh. It was right in my ear. And Merry he, Christmas. He knows what this. would you like? He goes, I would go, yo, what would you like, little <laughs> And it was like this inhalation of air and really like, low. Jeez, I didn't know you were gonna ask me that. And he goes, Oh, think quicker about it. Like that. And remember when he started banging his head on the glass? <laughs> Oh, that whole improv. And I remember, God bless Steve, he used to get so frustrated. Some, Not really, but like I, I know I was a pain in the ass for him because I would laugh so hard and some of, he'd be doing the most genius stuff and I'd be in a two shot with him ruining the take. And he was like, come on, man, maybe don't laugh on this one. So nice about it, but also was like, I'd like to go home and see my kids. <laughs> I'd like to get out of here. Yeah. Um, writing, acting, directing, is there one you prefer? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, I think acting was always, I, I think because it was the first, there's something I really love about it. I think that there's elements to acting being more fun because you don't have the weight of responsibility of any kind. Like turning in a script, you have the responsibility, I hope this doesn't suck. 
and directing you of all the responsibilities, which can be terrifying. But by the way, you, you don't want to suck being an actor either. But I don't know. I, I guess that it's once you've gone to the, you know the whole behind the camera idea, and you see how the sausage is made, you realize how. I think writing and directing made me a better actor, and and vice versa. You know, everybody I remember always getting awards. People would always be like, "And thanks to the crew and whatever." And we had the greatest crew of all time. And I think that that taught me to look back on all the things I loved, movies and television, whatever, and realize that for every moment you remember watching and loving, there were three to 600 people who made that moment exactly happen at that exact time. And it was magic from props to camera to the set design. Like I said, like I look back on the office and realize, like you said, that, that geography thing really blew my mind because I, I, it feels like that. That that set design was so purposeful. Anyway, that kind of thing. I don't know if that answered anything. No, I think so. Like people always ask, how did I get into directing or writing? And it's like, because I went to the best film school ever, which was The Office. And you learn what's good. I think my taste level became solidified on that show. Like, I see what's possible now. In everything I do, um, I've said this before that I never would have directed and rewritten A Quiet Place if it wasn't for Greg. Because I remember him saying to me one day, don't look at this as a comedy. Just be in the moment, right? right. You, you, your character doesn't know he's funny. Right. We get, to, we get to decide, right? So we're not making a comedy. We're just telling the best story we can. And if you end up laughing... Great. If you cry at a moment with Pam, great. But just tell the best story. So when I got offered Quiet Place, I was like, I don't know anything about horror. And I remember actually sitting down before I wrote the script and said, I'm not going to make a horror movie. I'm not going to make a genre movie. I'm going to tell the best story I can about this family. And if you end up getting scared at moments, that is on you because it's only my job is only to tell you the most concise and strong story I can. And then every emotional thing that you feel is coming from you and how you're experiencing it. And I remember I never would have had the guts to do that because I would have said the same thing I said to Greg that day, which is like, I, I don't want to mess this up. I, I want to make sure I'm really funny in this scene for you. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want you to be funny. I want you to tell the best story and let other people decide whether the scene is funny. And I was like, whoa, mind blowing stuff. That is very, very smart. But The Quiet Place isn't a comedy? No. You should see it before we do an interview. Oh, shoot. All right, guys. We're going to take a break right there. I'm going to save the rest of John's interview for a very special occasion down the line because John is a very special boy. Uh, thank you, JK, for joining me. I have to admit, you are my number one top absolute favorite pain in the ass in the world. Um, so congratulations on that. Uh, to all of you listeners, thank you for joining me. We will be back next time for another hilarious guest. So have a fantastic week, everybody.
The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr, and our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. I'm Sarah Wendell, and for close to 20 years, I've been a wildly recognized expert in the world of romance. And I'm Alicia Rye, best-selling author of over 20 romance novels. Introducing iHeart's new romance podcast, Love Struck Daily. Every day, we deliver a new love story straight to your headphones. Real-life love stories 100% guaranteed to bring all the feels. A little bit of sexy, a little bit of danger, and a lot of heart. Who doesn't need more love like this? Who wants to go on a first date with me on Instagram Live? Are you serious? Real-life fairy tale right there. Badass lady pirate. Mary takes her shirt off. Let me show you pirate style. And it just unbuttoned her shirt <laughs> and tucked it, it off. <laughs> <laughs> and for goodness sakes. Just kiss already. Listen to Love Struck Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm in love with you. Hi, my name is Cassidy Zachary. And I am April Callahan. And we are fashion historians. Yep. And co-hosts and the creators of the podcast Dressed, the History of Fashion, which is dedicated to investigating the significance of dress from throughout history and around the world. And we are so excited to bring you a brand new season celebrating groundbreaking fashion figures and exploring the history of everything from corsets to blue jeans. Dressed, the History of Fashion is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. Hey, Dana Goodyear here. Have you ever wondered how a true crime podcast like Lost Hills gets made? How we unearth secrets and tease out the truth? And deal with complicated characters while tackling sensitive subjects like violence, trauma, and deception? Now's your chance to find out. Join me and Jake Halpern, host of Pushkin's Deep Cover podcast, on March 16th for a digital conversation on true crime storytelling. Get your tickets now at momenthouse.com slash DCLH. That's M-O-M-E-N-T house dot com slash D-C-L-H. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.